Trigger warning. The following episode contains references to racism, slavery, death, factual inaccuracies, several entitled people making light of all these things. If any of the aforementioned topics cause you discomfort, you may want to listen to a different episode. I shall now perform the ritual of entering my credit card to summon Jeff Bezos. I'm Kelly. I don't know, this rubbish man lifestyle is kind of my speed. I'm Sean. I'm a big boy, and I give big gifts. I'm Andy. How long did you say my layover at the Tana Airport was? I'm Adam, and this is Acid Pop. Welcome back, brothers and sisters, to another congregation of Acid Pop. All hail! Today we're going to be talking about the J-Man from the sky, the one who brings us all the gifts, John Frum. John what? (laughs) That's good that you said that, Andy, because I was going to actually instigate you to say that. You ignorant fool, Andy. (laughs) Yeah. Who who doesn't know who John Frum is? Andy doesn't know who John Frum is. John Frum where? (laughs) Is this a knock-knock joke? (laughs) You're closer than you might think. Uh Sub subtitle, we're going to be talking about cargo cults. Cargo oh, cults. Okay. The definition of a cargo cult, a Lots Melanesian indigenous millenarian belief system. Oh, hmm. so it's not, yeah, like like Sean said, I thought it was maybe you had a lot of pockets. No, no. No, they don't worship the almighty cargo shorts. <laughs> but I can fit all of my things in here. And that's a, that's a blessing. Millenarian meaning a coming fundamental transformation of society. Hmm. Yes, of course. I thought it might be something to do with military. Or hats. Again, you're <laughs> or many legs. Than you might think. Uh, so the etymology, we've got John from Hebrew, <laughs> Yohanan, uh, said to mean literally Jehovah his favorite. Oh, okay, yeah. Good. That's actually the root of my name. Oh. God likes you. Yeah. The, the etymology of Sean is gift from God, which comes from John. Which, oh, interesting. Yeah. What's the etymi- etymology of Jingle Heimerschmidt? <laughs> his <laughs> I, name's my name, too. I want to look that up now. The etymology of from is a little different. It's spelled F-R-U-M. Frum. So I looked up from, and specifically, that's a Jewish word that means religious devotion. Okay. That's not what it means in this sense. Okay. But it is also a Jewish word that means that. Okay. So if we go with from F-R-O-M, that's an old English, that's old English fram, (laughs) a preposition denoting departure or movement away in time or space. Goodbye, God's gift. Also from Proto-Germanic, fra. <laughs> fra. Forward or away from. To and if we break- and fra. <laughs> Stop and ga. <laughs> <laughs> That's what makes the world go raw. <laughs> I like this new version. <laughs> if we break down cargo cult, cargo, freight loaded onto a ship, sure. is from Spanish cargo, meaning burden. <laughs> Oh, my burden pants. <laughs> <laughs> These shorts are such a burden. <laughs> but it's mine to carry. <laughs> Which is from Cargar. <laughs> to load or impose taxes. Uh, yes, from Old Pirates. <laughs> uh, which is from late Latin Caracar. To load a wagon or cart. Which is the root of Latin Caras, meaning wagon. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and cult, from French, culte. Okay. 
Latin cultus, meaning care, labor, cultivation, culture, worship, or reverence. Uh, originally, it meant tended or cultivated. Like a plant. Yep, that's what I think of when I think of rock terio. <laughs> <laughs> well, we tended to them. Well, you get like the Lord tends to his sheep sort of thing, so mm-hmm, I guess it mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, it's the past tense of to till. Till when? We're back on this. <laughs> I don't know who's on first. These phobias, I'm sure we've probably covered before. I don't know. Anybody want to take a stab at what? Cultophobia? Uh, rabdophobia? Sociophobia. The closest things I could find were religiophobia and theophobia. Okay. A fear of a fear or hatred of religion or a fear of gods or God. Fear of the oldest Huxtable son. <laughs> I'm going to stick with fear of people because there's frequently people in cults. You know, that applies. So moving on to our quiz... Uh, we'll test your geography. What and or where is Melanesia or Asia? Melanesia? <laughs> How do you pronounce? Uh, uh... <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. I thought it was South like Asia, uh, like near Vietnam. Yeah, I thought it was mm-hmm. like southeast of India. Okay. I'm thinking it's somewhere around like New Zealand ish, that area. Kelly's the closest without going over. <laughs> On the map. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's one of three major cultural areas in the Pacific Ocean Islands. So it's that it is yeah. the southeastern region from India. There's also Micronesia and Polynesia right there. Okay. So yeah. it's starting in the west with uh, New Guinea and going all the way to Fiji. All the way to Fiji. Yeah. Okay. The region includes four independent countries of Fiji, Vanuatu, and or Vanuatu, Solomon Islands, and Papua New Guinea. Okay. Uh, when did the first people settle the region? Well, long time, long time ago. ago. Give, give yeah. me like an amount of years ago. Three thousand. Uh, uh, let's give me. Let's, let's get some BCE in here. Fifteen hundred. Uh, yeah. We're gonna say. I have, <laughs> how long have there been people? <laughs> well, I remember well, something a long time ago about that area where they were saying like they found people there before humans had like seafaring boats. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't verify much further back than that, which is why I'm guessing around like 500 CE. But I'm going to say right now, but flipped. So 2023 BCE. How long ago was that? 4,000. Uh, so, <laughs> <okay>. 4,046. <laughs> You're all incorrect. It was okay. 40,000 years ago. Whoa. Wow. Ocean levels were lower and there was actually a land bridge that existed between Southeast Asia and the area was known as Sahul at the time. Quick run, run across there. the land. Yeah, they, they blocked there. So, yeah, you're right. It was before seafaring. What is a big man system? <laughs> That's where everyone's responsible for going to the bathroom on their own. Such a big man. <laughs> Who's my big man? That is a circulatory system that betrayed Andre the Giant. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say that's that's the class after preschool. <laughs> <laughs> You've graduated the big man system. <laughs> The big man system is their sort of value system in the region. Hmm. Basically a person, they can be important without being like inherited into like a, a chieftain line. So they can maintain recognition through skilled persuasion and wisdom. Or height. This is like the Urkins. <laughs> <laughs> More specifically in this sense, if you are well off enough that you can give people gifts all the time, then you are a big man. Oh, okay. big man. Give people <laughs> gifts, huh? <laughs> Uh, the big man typically has a large group of followers, both from his clan and other clans, hmm. and he provides his followers with protection and economic assistance. And like Mother Duck. But he gets all of his gifts from the dollar store, so they're not very good. <laughs> <laughs> In return, receiving uh, support, which he uses to increase his status. 
And for you, a single Kit Kat bar. I didn't know they sold them like that, but here you go. <laughs> I mean, if you gave enough of them away, you could theoretically become a big man. You know that theme song, Give Me a Break? Well, this one is, uh, can't can't do it. This one's just broke. Gimme. This one's just gimme, gimme. <laughs> what is a rubbish man? <laughs> it's the guy that takes my trash away. I like him. I tip him on uh, at Christmas time. That's got to be the opposite of a big man. Someone who just like, takes everything that oh, someone who only them. receives gifts yeah <laughs> yeah i feel like that's the bottom of the social order basically yeah you all got it it's these are the people that are unable to give as much gifts as the other man oh there's a gift giving system well the gift giving isn't necessarily the only way to do it like i said you could also be just the most charismatic one but in in the sense of the cargo cult that we'll be going into it's mostly gift giving santa claus would rule here <laughs> he's the it's biggest like, man there is <laughs> It's like capitalism, but without the currency. You just have stuff. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's capitalism boiled down. Yeah. I've got stuff, so you have to like me. <laughs> I'm, I'm better than you now. <laughs> but it's it wasn't just the stuff. It was being able to give the stuff to people. Yeah. So Being able to give me stuff. Yeah. Look at our millionaire philanthropists. Yep. They're big men. Elon Musk gave us racist <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> Take it back. Mars? For a small fee. <laughs> True or false, Queen Elizabeth II was a prominent figure in some cargo cult sex. Yes, I want this to be true. That's Did you say sects true. or sex? Sects. <laughs> I'll take both. <laughs> I mean, she got everywhere. She's on like half the world's currency, I feel. So sure, true. I like the idea that she was a prominent figure and that she was like a cult leader. Like she was flying <laughs> down there. To- oh, she headed one? <laughs> yeah. I'll give you all gifts. <laughs> Did you get a caramel? <laughs> this is false. Oh. Aww. Prince Philip, Duke, Duke of Edinburgh, was considered divinity <laughs> by one of the cults. Oh. Awesome. Why Edinburgh? <laughs> That's just what he's Duke of. I don't know. <laughs> Bonus question. In exchange for a signed portrait of himself, Prince Philip received a what from the villagers of Tana? Wife. <laughs> a manatee. A corgi. <laughs> the first corgi. <laughs> Prince Philip received a traditional pig-killing club called a oh. null-null. That's just a stick, y'all. <laughs> but it's really good at killing pigs. Stick up. Last question we have here. Cargo cults have been recorded as active between what years? Hmm. Well, when Prince to the latest. Edinburgh. I assume they still are. Uh, 1960s to now. 1842 to now. I'm going to say, I mean, you kind of need planes. Um, what sort of big man can give away planes? <laughs> that's, that's a big man. Even Pepsi couldn't give away a jet. <laughs> I'm say 1930s to now. The earliest recorded cargo cult was from was in 1885, Ooh. and they are still around today with at least eight different cults active right now. Huh. Uh, so that How long are you a cult before you're just a religion? Uh, that's a good question. That's Scientology. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. I didn't really get into that. It's it's less about like how religious they are, and it's just, just sort of the label they've gotten. Uh, so what exactly is a cargo cult, then? Cargo cults are marked by a, a number of common traits, which include a, a mixing of indigenous and foreign rituals elements, mm-hmm. the expectation of help from the ancestors, charismatic leaders, and lastly, a belief in the appearance of an abundance of goods. <laughs> okay. A we belief in stuff. the appearance. <laughs> yeah. Adherents of these cults perform rituals, which they believe will cause more technologically advanced societies to deliver goods. <laughs> it's a big picture of Tim Cook on the wall that we're burning <laughs> incense in front of. I couldn't make it work. So again, these these 
uh, religious beliefs were characterized by the this big man political system, which was already in place before like colonizers started to show up. Hmm. In this system, the individuals gained more prestige through gift giving. Uh, the more wealth a man could distribute, the more people were in his debt, and then the greater his renown. Uh, what if I didn't want the stuff, though? <laughs> it doesn't cover that. No take Too bad. I picked this grass in your front yard, and I'm giving it to you. What? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, those who were unable to reciprocate were identified as rubbishmen. Hmm. So faced with colonialism around the 1800s or so, uh, the foreigners had a seemingly endless supply of goods and wealth. <laughs> ah. uh, and they exchanged it for whatever the indigenous people had to trade for it. So it messed up the, the system in a way. So basically, they, they subjugated themselves with their own belief system. Wow. The indigenous uh, people experienced value dominance. Yeah. They were unable to reciprocate the extravagant gift giving of the, the various sailors and colonizers. And were therefore in their debt forever. Look, here you go. Hey, I got you a music box. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trash. No one is a slave. <laughs> Here's a big uh, stick. <laughs> So basically, they were they were left constantly feeling in their belief system like rubbish men. Wow. Since the modern uh, manufacturing process is unknown to them, all of these things that were brought to them felt like divine, like magical means of production, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. They were thought to have been created by spiritual means, such as through deities or ancestors. <laughs> but through this, they also came to the conclusion that these goods were intended for the local indigenous people. Uh, the foreigners had unfairly gained control of these objects through malice or mistake. Ah, I see. Of course. Be keeping our uh, TVs all these years. <laughs> that's where they were. <laughs> uh, thus, a characteristic of cargo cults is the belief that the spiritual agents will, at some future time, give much valuable cargo and desirable manufactured progress or products to the cult members. Because <laughs> we don't deserve them? It's... Well, there's also... I didn't get into it so much here, because there's some weird mixing of... Uh, ancestors and spirits and gods and stuff tend to come back as white skinned people and oh, there's there's ghosts. a weird sort of mixing with that huh i just i love the idea of like them pulling up on the boat for the first time and like pulling out something they've never seen before and these people being like about time you brought our damn stuff back. <laughs> you know how long i ordered this on amazon <laughs> from the amazon the river <laughs> been so long i forgot what this thing even is what is it <laughs> oh a gun you say <laughs> <laughs> i could use that Throws aside my pig killing club. <laughs> it's like a pig killing club that works from like 20 feet away. That's the longest pig killing club there is. These cults would also do rituals to help attract cargo. They would, this would include setting the setting up of mock airstrips. Oh, wow. They would make fake airports and airplanes, office buildings, <laughs> dining rooms. That's why rooms. I said we needed planes for these. Yeah. Well, that's the more modern the version of it. But yeah. <laughs> But they still need to know about control towers. It's <laughs> got this big empty stretch of land just watching the skies. Well, be they, great if they, they, have that, that they just start diverting planes yeah. onto their airfields. <laughs> hey, look, our goods have arrived. <laughs> <laughs> as well as the fetishization and attempted construction of Western goods. Ooh. Uh, such as radios made of coconuts and straw. <laughs> the professor. <laughs> Those people are just marooned on that island. <laughs> yep. This is supposed to be a three-hour tour. <laughs> Believers may stage drills and marches with sticks for rifles and use military-style insignia and national insignia painted on their bodies to make them look like soldiers. Imagine how cool this will be once we have real guns. <laughs> <laughs> so they would treat these Western military-like trainings as religious rituals uh -huh. uh, with the intent purpose of attracting cargo. 
to them. <laughs> if we march around, these people will show up with stuff for that, us. That's basically it. I can't imagine anyone treating someone else's culture as a costume and dressing up in it. <laughs> I brought you this bag of coconuts and I'm going to need a tank. <laughs> <laughs> we have some some standout examples of cargo cults over the years. The first ones had their roots in the 1800s with uh, like colonial plantation style uh, setups in the region. The first well-documented cargo cult was known as Vilala Madness. Huh. Vilala Madness. Probably not a name they gave themselves. <laughs> Sounds like a dance hit. <laughs> <laughs> Coming in at number five. <laughs> Also sounds like a sports team. So. <laughs> uh, and this was from 1919 to 1922 was the, the main years that uh, Vailala Madness. Three, three years is not bad for a cult. Uh, it acquired its name from observations of the behavior of the people who participated in it, which okay. included a word I can't pronounce well, basically speaking in <laughs> tongues, ah. shaking and other psychosomatic symptoms. Hi there. How are you? Hello. How are you? Good to see you. How are you? <laughs> oh, hey, hey, I'm here. Um, fake business cards. <laughs> In the indigenous language, uh, they called it Iki Haveva, which means belly don't know. Okay. Uh, which to them meant it's it was like a form of dizziness to them, this speaking in tongues and shaking around and stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, the movement included the belief that a ghost steamer piloted by the returning dead would arrive presently, bringing cargo and deceased relatives. Oh, what are you doing you back get here? To pick one. Uh, it was going to bring the whole shebang. They were <laughs> expecting tin food, tools, Various other resources for building, as well as any other sort of technological stuff that they could get their hands on. But also like your mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going to house all these ghosts? <laughs> oh, boy. That's why they have all the housing stuff, so they can build more houses. <laughs> ah, yes. And in one version, the ghost steamer would also bring guns. Oh. Specifically so they could expel the colonizers. <laughs> bring us the guns to get rid of you. And that's another weird thing about these cults, is they sort of revered you know, these white people for bringing all this stuff. But at the same time, it always came back to spiritual ancestors and stuff. So they could get rid of all these white people. They didn't revere the people. They revered the stuff. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for bringing us this stuff. Please look it out. Now My go. island was nicer without you. We have fueled your plane so you may leave. <laughs> this cult began to employ new traditions and ceremonies that were a departure from their Traditional traditions. This seemed to imitate practices they had previously observed while working on the plantations, uh, such as strict curfews, drilling followers as soldiers, and even mock British tea time ceremonies. <laughs> pinkies up, pinkies up. <laughs> Got really good at making scones. <laughs> Fake scones. Out of rocks. The spirits will love these. <laughs> but during the largest and most publicized period of cargo cults, World War II, both America and Japan exploited and cultivated the practices to try and gain leverage in the region. Huh. Of course we did. A vast amount of military equipment and supplies that both sides airdropped or airlifted to airstrips <laughs> to troops on these islands meant drastic changes to the lifestyle of the islanders. So it worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, I tried to avoid some of these because there's a lot of like racist undertones to a lot of this, yeah, especially no. the, the article I found from the, it was like a Pacific Islander American magazine that was not very friendly to the Japanese at the time. Hmm. And apparently, like, a Japanese general or something showed up to these islands and gave a speech about how they work harder than Europeans, so we'll help you kick them out. <laughs> I just mean the cults worked. They, you know, set up in the early, late 1800s, early 1900s in World War II, people just started dropping stuff on yeah. them. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> came true. Now accepting stuff. <laughs> just patience is all. But isn't that all prayer? 
<laughs> Wait a minute. That's <laughs> like they just like, so I give you this jack in the box and you guys will worship me? It's like, well, close. We'll worship the jack in the box. <laughs> <laughs> we like stuff. Well, I mean, we've all got a relationship with Amazon. None yeah. of us like the company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazon, send me my things and then leave. Yeah, I can worship the stuff Jeff Be- Bezos gives me. <laughs> Doesn't mean I have to like Jeff. I don't ever invite Santa Claus to stay at my house. <laughs> you really should. Tim Allen's on hard times. <laughs> and many of these people at the time had never seen these sorts of goods or even outsiders before. Yeah. So at the time, they brought manufactured clothing, medicine, canned food, tents, weapons, and other things in vast quantities that the soldiers needed. Uh, and they would often share these with the islanders, uh, who would be you know guides and hosts at the time. And this was from both sides. So the Japanese were doing this on their own islands, too. Uh, and this this led to the rise specifically of the John Frum cargo cult. Oh. Here we go. There's John Frum. Often depicted as an American World War II serviceman who will bring wealth and prosperity to the people if they follow him. Oh, so he's like a saint. He's a saint that wears, you know, military clothes. <laughs> and brings stuff. Uh, there's a quote from David Attenborough who talked to uh, some people that follow John Frum. And the quote from them to uh, David Attenborough is, he look like you, he got white face, he tall man. <laughs> okay but he's got more stuff yeah, he's got way more stuff than you Attenborough <laughs> you didn't bring me a lot of gifts Attenborough you don't even have pants that reach the ground <laughs> <laughs> you're not that tall your pants reach all the way to the ground uh, in one analysis of the cult the figure was first known as John Broom who was originally believed by followers to one day return from a distant land to sweep away the white colonists and return riches to the islands Okay, I like him so I've far. I've seen that movie. Yeah, I was saying, wasn't that the samurai? <laughs> with, uh... In some versions of the story, there was a, an actual native man that used the alias John from and began appearing among the, among the native people of Tana, dressed in Western-style clothes. With white face on, though, it was very distasteful. <laughs> and he assured the people he would bring them houses, clothes, food, and transport. A whole house, though. That's a strong <laughs> How guy. How you bring us a house? It's coming. It's in the mail. <laughs> He's a very big man. Very tall. Uh, other versions, uh, John Frum was said to be the manifestation of, oh boy, Karaparanam. <laughs> but he was a he was already a god that existed in the region associated with uh, a local mountain. This John Frum promised to bring the dawn of a new age in which all white people, including missionaries, would depart the new would, would depart the region <laughs> and leave their shit, yeah. <laughs> leaving behind their goods and property. <laughs> For this to happen, however, the people of Tana had to reject all aspects of European, European society, including money. Huh. Uh, money, Western education, Christianity, and the working on the plantations. You have to get rid of all the stuff so that you get the stuff. Oh, you have to make a vacancy. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I was saying is how it's kind of a weird spin on this is that they sort of subjugated themselves to this. And then it sort of culminated in getting rid of all of the white people. <laughs> So it's it almost became empowering in the end, it seems. So they had to reject all aspects of the stuff the Europeans brought. Based on this, the followers of John Frum rid them of all their money in a spending frenzy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's no. not how you get rid of the money. <laughs> yeah, but they still want goods. Uh, they left the missionary churches and schools, villages and plantations, and moved inland to participate in traditional feasts, dances, and rituals. Okay. With, with, with some nice stuff. Yeah, yeah. radios and stuff. Their entire life savings worth of stuff. <laughs> Can't have a nice dance without a nice radio. After the war uh, and the departure of the various soldiers, followers of John Frum built symbolic landing strips to encourage American airplanes to land and bring their cargo. <laughs> uh, versions of the cult emphasizing the American, the American connection interpret John Frum as a corruption of 
basically John from America. Uh-huh. So that's that's where they think the name came from is John from wherever. Oh, see, I, I I do like the conceit that if you build an airstrip, an American will have to land on it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't understand. Something is undespoiled down there. This is where planes go. I just like how mundane it is. Like, we we have people, you know, churches are sometimes referred to as God's house. Like, yeah. this is God's airport. Yeah. <laughs> God is waiting for his plane. God's going to have to use this airport. Look how good it is. Somebody saw about like 10 minutes of Field of Dreams and they just really got the wrong end of the stick. <laughs> if you build it, they will give you stuff. <laughs> they turn into a doctor and eat a hot dog or something. I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> Quick, the Americans are watching. <laughs> uh, in 1957, a leader from the John Frum movement created the Tana Army, a nonviolent ritualistic society that organized military style parades <laughs> of men with faces painted in ritual colors and wearing white T-shirts with the letters T-A-U-S-A or Tana Army USA. Uh, can you have a, a non-violent army? Well, it's all ritualistic. They don't oh. do anything. That's just for the show. Okay. It's just for the, the show, Sean. Just army? do it. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, this parade takes place every year on February 15th, the date on which followers believe John Frum will return. <laughs> and it's still <laughs> Right after Valentine's It's day. still yeah. observed as a local holiday, John Frum Day. So, so, so next year, remember it, right after... <laughs> Right after you have your Valentine's Day, remember to leave an airstrip out for John. <laughs> dress up and get your stolen valor. Dress up like a serviceman. <laughs> <laughs> the the last cargo, note of, cargo cult of note that I have here is the Prince Philip movement, uh, said to have started in the 1950s or 60s. Like killing pigs. According to the local tribes, uh, the local tribes' tales, the son of a mountain spirit traveled over them. He was sometimes believed to be the brother of John Frum. Uh, the people of the area had seen the respect accorded to Queen Elizabeth II by the colonial officials and concluded that her husband, Prince Philip, must be the son referred to in their legends. Uh-huh. Uh, this belief was strengthened by the royal couple's official visit to Vanatau in, in 1974, when a few villagers had the opportunity to actually see Prince Philip from a distance. Oh, <laughs> I think that's him. Looks like a god over there. <laughs> it's like I resemble John from. <laughs> Could be his brother. All those white people look the same. <laughs> uh, Philip was not then aware of the the sect, but it was brought to his attention several years later by a man named John Champion. He was the British resident commissioner of the region. Boy, these people are really friendly and greedy. They like you a lot, like a weird amount. <laughs> Champion suggested that Prince Philip send them a portrait of himself, to which he agreed, <laughs> and sent an official signed photograph. The villagers responded by sending him the traditional pig killing club. <laughs> I want to see this club and requested they take a photograph with it. <laughs> and so she agreed. <laughs> Hooray. Uh, he sent the photograph of himself posing with the club. Another photograph was sent in 2000 of Prince Philip. And all three photographs were kept by the uh, then chief Jack Niva. Oh, they were just going to keep going to see what stuff they could get him to wear. <laughs> Let's see, what else see we can make a pose with? <laughs> I thought they were setting up an Applebee's. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, it's one of those bistros where they have all the pictures of celebrities on the wall. Yeah, but it's all Prince it's all Philip. Prince Philip. <laughs> Welcome to Phillips. <laughs> I don't know Prince Philip was in Boogie Nights. Just <laughs> his, his face on different things. <laughs> Photoshop did wonders for the area. Yep, a, ca- a cargo plane landed carrying a bunch of Adobe software. <laughs> uh, the Prince Philip movement celebrated the 2018 wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle by holding a party where they hoisted the Union Jack and danced and ate pigs. <laughs> they were initially unaware of the wedding as they probably weren't invited uh, <laughs> until a, a travel agent showed up and told them about it 
Oh, no, I'm sure it got lost in the mail. <laughs> they didn't seem too upset about not being told, but they sure as heck celebrated it. Woo! After. <laughs> uh, in April 2021, uh, the sect also mourned Prince Philip's death. Hmm. Village chief Albi said that he was terribly, terribly sorry that he had died. Uh, and another tribal chief sent his condolences to the royal family and the people of the UK in general. Yeah. Before he could come down here and get rid of all these white people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we are still kicking you out, though. <laughs> Got any more photos of him? The Union, the union flag was flown at half-mast on the grounds of, uh, of the local tribe. A, a formal mourning period was declared, and many tribespeople gathered on uh, the 12th of April in a ceremony to remember the Duke, where men took turns to speak and pay tribute to him. I didn't know Prince Philip, but I saw his photograph. I saw him from a distance once. <laughs> I saw a picture of his picture once. <laughs> In my school book. <laughs> uh, for the next few weeks, villagers met periodically to conduct rites for him, whom they saw as a recycled descendant of a very powerful spirit. They conducted ritualistic dances, held a procession, and displayed memorabilia of the Duke. Did you say recycled? They, they, it's, the, it's a quote. They called him a recycled descendant. Huh. That's weird. Yeah, That's you like, punctured the machine. <laughs> yeah, you got to reincarnate again. A... I assume they just meant he was a reincarnated version yeah. of their god. Uh, they displayed memorabilia of the duke while the men drank kava. Hmm. Period of mourning culminated with a significant gathering where a great deal of yams and kava plants were on display. Delicious. Uh, numerous pigs were killed. And many of the tribesmen believe that while his body lies in rest, the duke's soul will return to a spiritual home on the island of Tana. Uh, it seems like there's worse places to retire. <laughs> yeah, Plenty of pigs. Of Plenty of pigs. Lots of stuff. <laughs> you don't have to see your, your wife, the ancient queen, again. <laughs> I'm going to Tana, honey. Bye. Uh, so that's all I have for the the main points of cargo cults. Hmm. Never heard of such a thing. It's, <laughs> they kind of remind me of UFO cults. Well, that's hmm. I was thinking that is like Earth could turn into a cargo cult if the right sort of <laughs> species shows up. Well, we've Give already kind of got that with like the aliens are going to come and bring us advanced technology and, yeah. you know. No need yeah, to worry because they'll fix it. Yeah. The Atlanteans from Lemuria. I took a anthropology class in college, I want to say. I It's been a long time, but I think it was about some cultures in this area. And basically mm. there was these like two groups and they'd been fighting for a long time. But then they decided to get along. And the way you got along is you gave the other person a bunch of stuff. and mm. then. On the one-year anniversary of you getting the stuff, you had to give another gift to the person who gave you the stuff. So it was like these two villages, and they, <laughs> they each had a chief. And so every year, they would give back a gift, and it had to be better than the year before. Impressive gifting. Yeah, so that like it, it wouldn't turn back to war. And I think at the time of the video, like... Things had pretty much calmed down, and like I don't think it would have gone bad if they hadn't got it back. But like it was basically a video of following the chief as he tried to get this gift ready, and at this point, it had like six cars and like Jeez. an elephant and like tons of clothes and food, and like he's trying to coordinate all this stuff to like give to this other village. Um, the white elephant this year has turned ugly. <laughs> yeah, but it was actually um, it wasn't like he was stressed a little bit from just trying to coordinate all this stuff, but he was also like just really excited. <laughs> and they were going to have cool. this big party. So I don't know. Maybe it was all clever editing, but it, it, it seemed like the mood was was pretty jovial. Yeah. You want to start small with that sort of tradition. Like, pretty I got small. you this penny candy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it did, but it's been going on rock. for, yeah, like 60 years or something. I got you nickel candy. <laughs> well, here's a dime candy. <laughs> I don't remember the guy's name, the chief's name, but the, the gift was called a mocha. 
And so it was like somebody or other's big mocha was the name hmm. of the, the documentary thing. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it was. Anybody else have any Pacific Islander stories? No. Nope. So for the game, I didn't want to pay you guys to show up and be a deity for a bunch of island people. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds <you>. stressful. <laughs> so instead, you're living alone on an island. What Ooh. ceremony do you perform to attract Americans or their cargo? <laughs> Erect an in and out. <laughs> in and out made a of ceremony. Yeah. I was going to say a planned parenthood. Oh, like, yeah. As soon, as soon as one's erected, protesters oh, are yeah, out front. So. Up. I'm trying to I want American cargo. I'm going to. Oh, okay. I got a fake Goodwill Express right on the island. There you go. Instead of just one of those boxes where you just dump stuff. <laughs> Just the loneliest drop-off point for Goodwill. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, like the sign says, tax write-offs. <laughs> Just write free dump day on the island. <laughs> and I figured that one might be kind of short, so I have a follow-up question. Okay. Is, uh, what cargo do we you bring to- We didn't get your a- answer. Oh, well, that's a good question. <laughs> I forgot that I also have to answer. <laughs> I'm here too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, d- I like the idea. I think you're for sure to get people with you know the Planned Parenthood, but that's going to be angry people. The only cargo they're bringing are Molotov cocktails. Uh, people not pass up. How about the excitement of doing those mock abortions? Mm, I'm going to set up a, uh, a farmer's market. <laughs> <laughs> like a mock farmer's market. So people know that there's already some good stuff here. And then other farmers might show up too. <laughs> Big sign that says non-GMO across town. <laughs> yeah. uh, but my, my other question was, uh, you have a cargo cult. Or there is a cargo cult. What do you bring to them to transform their society? Mm. And then they're going to kick you out. <laughs> the internet, probably. I mean, I can bring them one thing. Just the ephemeral internet. Well, it's this thing. Is like, how do you get the, how do you get the internet <laughs> no to somebody? Yeah, <laughs> this would have Wi-Fi. the internet on here if we had Wi-Fi. You'd be amazed. <laughs> Trust me, you'll love this <laughs> sometime. I'm going to gather up all the statues that remain of John's big boy, <laughs> <laughs> the big man, <laughs> <laughs> and just give them to them. Be like, here's big boy, and that's, then leave. That's pretty good. Big boy for your big man society. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. That's sort of a, a tricky thing. Like, there's a uh, a charity that that we support called Partners in Health, mm-hmm. and like their whole thing is to like go to countries and not just like give them medicine, but like to give them a hospital. Yeah, and something to, sustainable. Yeah, and to staff it with people that already live there. Like, you know, to just give them something that they can have that will help from right. then on, instead of like here's some medicine, and as soon as the medicine runs out, they're back, you know, right yeah. in the same boat. But that's really, really hard. <laughs> so giving people something that like helps their society get better is is a tricky thing to do. Um, he didn't say help. He said transform. That's true. You could make it worse. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some medical plutonium. care is pretty good. But again, how do you how do you make that stick? I want to say like um, I don't remember the name of the services, and they're not paying us to advertise, so it doesn't matter, I guess. <laughs> but there's like online classes. Yeah. We'll give them a a satellite internet link or whatever you'd call it and give them a subscription to these online classes. Yeah. There like a master class. Yeah. They can learn from Steve Martin. Yeah. <laughs> How to play the violin. They can, they can better themselves in whatever way they want. Was that everybody? I think so. Okay. Sure. Well, that's it. That's all the questions I have for you. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Leave your stuff and get out. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Well, that's, I guess that's everything for today. So we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.